Welcome to the Anxiety Slayer series. Our mission is to assist you with creating more peace and tranquility in your life through anxiety release exercises and supportive tools created to slay your anxiety. Welcome to Anxiety Slayer. I'm Shan Vanderleek. My partner Ananga and I come together weekly on Skype to share Anxiety Slayer sessions with you and often answer listener questions from our inbox and Facebook page. Over the last seven and a half years, we've been dedicated to sharing a powerful collection of techniques to reduce anxiety. We mix up a potent blend of coaching, storytelling, Ayurveda, yoga, EFT tapping, along with our many years of personal experience. And we enjoy monthly conversations with mental health experts, coaches, and healers. And today I have the honor of speaking with Steve Schlossman, MD, about the recent election and how it's created anxiety for children and parents, and how families should handle this situation. Steve Schlossman, MD, is the Associate Director of the Clay Center for Young Healthy Minds at Massachusetts General Hospital. The Clay Center is devoted to promoting the emotional well-being of young people by providing innovative education about mental health. Dr. Schlossman is also an Assistant Professor of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, and practices child and adult psychiatry at MGH, where he's the primary consultant to the Pediatric Transplant Service. He received BAs in English and Biology from Stanford University and his MD from the Dartmouth-Brown Program in Medicine. Dr. Schlossman's experience has been featured in the New York Times, the Huffington Post, NBC, ABC, Boston Magazine, amongst many other media outlets. Welcome to Anxiety Slayer, Dr. Schlossman. Uh, Thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, today we are going to be talking about an important subject, and I'm so glad that you made yourself available because at Anxiety Slayer, we have been receiving tons of emails and posts about the recent election and how much anxiety it's caused for families. That's what I want to dive right into today is talk about how has anxiety from adults over the election trickle down to their children and, and what can we do about it? It is a great question. I'm, first of all, I'm very grateful to you for having this particular topic. I, I think um, we want to get ahead of this topic. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of literature right now sort of demonstrating a, a measurable increase in anxiety that we can directly correlate with or say is causative from the election. But I bet you there will be. We just need to have enough um, time under the under the bridge there, enough water under the bridge to make that conclusion. So this is the time for us to talk about it. And the important thing to remember is that this is not a partisan issue. So I, I worry a little bit that when people say, hey, this election's making me so worried and I agree with them, they will assume that I'm on one side of the aisle or the other. I, of course, I'm on one side of the aisle or the other. That's part of being human. But everybody, regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, is feeling pretty worked up in the aftermath of this very contentious election, certainly the most contentious one I've ever experienced in my either pre-voting or voting lifetime. So that's a that's a long introduction and a short way of saying, or a long way of saying what should have been short, which is it's definitely trickling down to kids because that's what anxiety does. Adult anxiety trickles down to kids. It sure does. I, I can tell you that in our family, I have a 16-year-old daughter. Up until this election, my husband and I were very close to the vest about our, our politics. You know, certainly we would answer questions and things like that, but we didn't want to be a, this big uh, right or left household. We wanted to leave it up to her. And now she's 
she's just shaking her head more than anything. Like, why does almost like, why does it even matter? And she's yep. a super intelligent kid, you know, so it's not, it's not just, oh, I'm a teen- teenager. I don't care or what, you know, any of that. It's just what, wow, how is this, how is this really happening? Right. So you, so you asked two really interesting questions there. I, I actually have two daughters too. One is, you know, was 16 at the time of the election, has since turned 17, has the same questions. And I think that nihilism, that, that idea that why could this possibly even matter if things could go so horribly astray, no matter, again, which side of the aisle you're on in terms of that contentiousness, what, what does this mean for my future? That's very anxiety provoking for kids. Because remember that at the age of 16 or 17, you're looking out towards this world and you want it to greet you nicely. And the idea that it might greet you with nothing but arguments and these sort of binary moments where you're either with us or you're against us, that's really, that's unhealthy. And it's not like you need a shrink to tell you that, but I think it's important to remember that because we parents, again, regardless of the side of the hour on, we get wrapped up in those partisan moments. And I have heard my kids as well as many kids say enough already. I need you to stop. I need you to stop yelling at the radio or you know or the tv or whatever just can we talk about how worried i am about prom you know something yeah, like that exactly exactly what's right right in front of them right now and i think that is a a nice segue for us to talk about some of the ways that children might be showing their anxiety about the election and then how how as parents we can recognize that and i know there's going to be a couple of different schools of thought here for, for young children and then for our teenage children as well. Yep. So young kids, when they get anxious, let's just talk about anxiety in general, which, which I know you've done you know, very well on, on your podcast, but we talk about it in general, and then we can sort of then uh, get more specific to talk about what this election's done. Young kids in general, when they're anxious, they uh, have more avoidant behavior, which might be things like school refusal. Um, they have more somatic or physical complaints, tummy aches, headaches, uh, things like that. If we then take that towards this election, young kids typically like to see adults behaving well towards each other. They have very big radars. They pick up very well on what they think ought to be the correct behavior for adults. And they have a fairly uh, black and white view of the world. It is either this or that. Four fouls is an out every single time in kickball, no matter what. I mean, that's that's the way. That's why they have such strict rules in kickball. That's why it takes forever to get a kickball game going when you're a little kid, because they <laughs> spend forever making the rules. So when they see parents and adults and their leaders not following the rules of civil discourse, the very things that would get them sent to the principal's office it freaks them out. I know that's not a particularly clinical way of phrasing it, but I can't come up with a better one. No, they, it's, it's excellent because we're, what we've seen is, is bullying and mocking and, and lying. And we've seen all kinds of strange behavior. And these kids, we're, we're telling our kids every day that that's not okay. Yep. And yet they see it on the news. They see it. You know, part of this is the 24 hour news cycle. We got to have a story all the time. And the stories are sexier if they tell a, you know, by definition, if two people are fighting, that's easier to tune into than a wonky discussion about policy. Sure. But at the same time, I think it really is up to the adults who are closest to the kids, not the peripheral ones. At the end of the day, the folks in Washington are peripheral to the parents and the teachers and the, you know, superintendents and things like that up to them to sort of demonstrate civil discourse 
in the presence of disagreement, which is, I worry, and I'm a bit on my high horse here, something that uh, we've lost touch with over the last maybe couple of years. And, and we need to get back. We, we desperately need to get back, not just for the health of our nation, but I think for the health of our children, because they need to know how to tolerate different opinions and move forward through them and come up with compromise. Right. Well, and again, depending on their ages, it's got to be difficult for them to understand so many of the topics that have been coming forward about immigration, health care, building a wall, respecting women. I mean, it goes on and on. Yeah, no, I, with little kids, I've heard just in my clinical practice, I obviously can't talk about specific cases, but I can just say, generally speaking, this concept of self and other, which is more highfalutin than it, than it needs to be. It's just this notion that how do I know that I'm on the inside of the circle or they circle the wagons, I'm on the outside. That's been the general message that kids have received, the kids who are either prone to anxiety or have wandered into anxiety as a result of this recent contentious political setting. They've just trying to figure out, um, am I in that group that's going to be attacked or am I now appropriately surrounded by my allies so that I won't be attacked? And of course, as adults, we would like to sort of let them know that you can be on either side of some of these issues and not fear for being attacked, either verbally or, or otherwise. That's that's where the little kids are getting very anxious. Sure. The older kids, you know, when older kids feel anxious, they have bigger brains to feel anxious with. So their worries are going to be more complex, more abstract. That's why we have, before I went to medical school, I was a high school English teacher. We taught the Odyssey to ninth and 10th graders. We didn't teach it to sixth and seventh graders. It's not that the words were too hard for sixth and seventh graders. It's that the concepts were harder. So we don't introduce all of those abstract and nuanced concepts until eighth and ninth grade. That very capacity for abstraction and nuance is what makes anxiety more pernicious for older kids because they find themselves with this kind of low-level sense of dread as if they're looking down a dark alleyway and they don't know what will come out of them. There might be nothing, and that's part of what creates the anxiety. How do I know what alleyway is going to be dark to make this more... Um, more concrete, how do I know when I walk to school today, and this happened in our town during the election, there won't be somebody yelling at me, you're either with my, you know, blank fill in the candidate, or you need to get out of my school, which happened in my nice suburban town. We've never seen anything like that before. That kind of setting puts you in this kind of uh, persistent fight or flight response. And that's terrible for our bodies and our minds. I've had to take a media break for a while because of the the amount of uh, in additional electricity <laughs> yeah. running, you know, just and, and and had to figure out ways that I could do something that might make a difference, you know, make a donation here or sign a petition there or march or that's what I've decided to do is show my daughter that if, if you disagree with something, here are some healthy ways that you can move forward and do something about it. That yes, this can make you really mad or really crazy or really anxious, but now let's look at some of these checks and balances. Let's look at what's going on and let's remember that we love our aunts and uncles and grandparents and people who might be on the other side of the issue and, you know, to try and, but, you know, but that's a lot. Again, that's such a easier for me to say with the, with the wisdom of my years than it is for a 16 year old to go, wow, really? Thanks for this mess. Right. <laughs> right. Right. 
<laughs> my, so because you're a mom, you will not be accused of mansplaining the way my daughter would accuse me. If, if I, um, uh, and, you know, the problem with mansplaining, just as an aside, talk about getting anxious, is you can't explain that you're not mansplaining without mansplaining. So it's a perfect tautologic mess, which I've tried to explain to my daughter. So uh, I think we try to get our lessons across to them because after all, we're still their parents, but we do it in these aliquots that they can tolerate. So you say, there is a march. You've told me you feel strongly about this issue. Would you like to come with me to this march? If they say no, you say, okay. Um, I've met some parents who say my kids need to go because they need to take a stand. No, no, they need to take a stand about whether they're going to have something to do on Saturday night. I mean, that's really, you need to let the kids be kids. They got enough going on without all of this nonsense, you know, in the background. Sure. Make it available to them and say, I'm not going to force you, but I'm happy to have you with me. And I'm even happy to have you disagree with me. And then I actually really think it's useful, as hard as it is, to put ourselves in the shoes of the folks who don't agree with us and to do that exercise with the kids. Um, you might not agree, but let's figure out why the other side thinks what they think. And if any of us, you know, you're a parent of a teen, as am I, we know that teens are very likely to disagree with what we say. So it's actually not a bad exercise. In your practice, um, have you seen patients or have you had stories of families that might be facing deportation? Any uh, personal experience with that? Because I, I know that in, in uh, my daughter's school, there are some kids that are looking at family members that they're afraid are going to are going to be deported. And so it's been a conversation in our in our home. Oh, yeah. No, it's definitely been an issue. It's been an issue both directly in my practice, especially in the, the consult work I do at the hospital, as opposed to the, you know, in my office practice. But also, um, it's been an issue just in stores I've heard around town. The, the ones that I hear most often, I, don't, I have not heard of anyone being deported, uh, which which is good, in, in, to my opinion. But you, we did have, like, for example, a, a family that brought in their papers that had proof that they had a right to be in the U.S. And they felt like they needed to show these to a doctor, which, by the way, you don't. The doctor has no obligation to report. And we, you know, it's just no, none, no doctors signed up to be policemen. So we don't want to do that. But we've had a number of patients bringing in this paperwork. And, and I've seen this and also heard it anecdotally from my colleagues. Well, there's was, so much fear behind that, that, that harsh reality of, perhaps having to leave the country and wanting to prove that you're, you know, that you're supposed to be here and, and then to have children involved. It, it just, it's just blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. And so you can, I mean, I can hear in your voice and I can hear it in mine that the sort of overlay of anxiety, the dark cloud of worry, because who wants to put a child through that? It's scary enough when you bring your kid to the hospital because they're sick. The idea that you bring your kid to the hospital and by virtue of taking to the hospital, you might give up your right to be in the country. That's that's horrifying. Yeah. Well, in this election, the, the process and, and what's happened in you know almost the first 90 days has sure, certainly had its fair share of unusual moments, things we've never seen before. And, and the stuff that really that we hear about quite a bit and that I'm hearing about from my daughter is that the name calling and vulgar mm -hmm. and vulgarity, the just the absurd. There's been some some very absurd behavior. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and I and I giggle a little bit because I'm still I'm still scratching my head going, wow, is that that's really happening? But how do you think that's impacting our kids. And how can we, how can we take a flat out 
horrifying comment and help them see it and, and then also explain that it's coming from somebody who is the most powerful person in the world? I mean, it's, right. this is, wow. Yeah. I mean, even getting it out of your mouth is hard to, hard it, to do. It is. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. I think when something is mind-boggling, you have to acknowledge it as mind-boggling. Like, I don't think we get anywhere if we try to pretend like, you know, it's status quo, given that it's not. What I help some parents to say, what I, in fact, in my own family, my wife and my kids, what we've said, this behavior is not something that uh, we like, that we would want you to emulate in any way. There are people that we respect who are okay with this behavior, but we're not among those people. And if you want us to tell you why, we'll, we'll tell you. And then if they come to us and they say, this happened at school, or I just saw this on the news, can you believe how crazy this is? Rather than kind of pouring kerosene onto that fire, because that creates more of that kind of us-them mentality, say, what was it exactly that bothered you about that? And and oftentimes, what I found both in my practice and in my family is that what bothered them is not the same thing that bothered me. So you actually think you're helping them with their anxiety by talking about what's going on, but you actually just talk about what's going on for you. Right, and right. they have something entirely different on their mind. You know, uh, there was a story I heard at my daughter's high school where a prom date or a prom proposal, whatever they call those things, fell apart because people are on either side of the aisle, the political aisle. So those are the things that cause anxiety for them. Um, and how, you know, how silly is that? And I had to remind, in, in that case, I had to remind my daughter that um. I don't think my parents until um, relatively recently ever voted the same and are still married. There are ways that we can, you know, we can sort of bridge those gaps. Having said that, some of this behavior, and, and I'm comfortable saying this, is not okay regardless of your political stance. Some of the name calling, the openly bigoted statements, the suggestion that people of certain ethnicities can't be fair, say, as judges. I think it's absolutely fine for us as parents to say, this is not right. We're not going to go crazy about this and, you know, leave the country. Don't worry. In fact, my daughter was worried we might choose to leave the country. We're not going to leave the country. Well, mine was too. Mine, mine was too. And actually, she she started uh, doing her own research about what it would what it would take for us to go to Canada. Yeah. On her yep. own. On her own. That was, you know, I, mean, I realized there was, you know, memes going around in, in social media and people talking right. about those kinds of things. But but um, she has some friends in Canada and she was doing her own conversations and wanting to know that, you know, if things got really wonky. Would would this be something that we would consider? And and we just said, you know, everything's on the table. We we don't think we're in that place at this point. But thank you for looking into it. And that's exactly what we said. So, I mean, you, I don't know what you need, but your instincts yeah, <laughs> are, right. are, are are excellent here. The the only thing I would add to that is um this sort of line that I that I used to only use when I was talking to very I work for the transplant service, so very sick kids who needed new liver or something, and I would say to them. I will tell you when to when to get really worried. Uh, of course, we're worried or else I wouldn't be seeing you and you wouldn't be here in the hospital. But if things get really dire, I can't say anything to gain by not letting you know that. So I'll let you know that. And now I've said the same thing to my kids and, and also to, to patients of mine. If things get so dire that we're going to think of living, leaving this country, I promise to let you know well in advance. Well, there, there were lots of um, stories that came home from the bus um, my daughter rides a bus in the morning to a career tech where she does graphic design. And a lot of the 
the kids on the bus uh, were very, very vocal about um, their support of our current president. And she does not support our current president president uh, based on her own ideas. And but she knew enough to just listen, roll her eyes a bit, put on her music and then come home and talk about it and then come Mm -hmm. home and say, I I can't understand how somebody could say X or I don't understand how can so many people um, back when Hillary was in the race, how mom, I can't say that I'm pro Hillary Clinton, but how in the world can people tear her down to the level that they are? She's clearly somebody that should be respected, whether you're Republican or Democrat. And, you know, I just look at her like, thank you for that very thoughtful question. And uh, so, you know, and I think sometimes that we forget the her age because of how thoughtful she is. And we have to remember to bring it back around. And well, that's a, a uh, good point. The, the uneven developmental uh, stages of kids where, you know, in some ways they can seem like they're 30. In other ways, they're, they're still 14 or 10 even. I mean, that's the way development works. No, nobody's on the same track entirely, nor are they on the same track as their peers. So we over assume often, especially if you're the very verbal and thoughtful kid, that they're not as worried as they actually might be. And part of that worry also has to do with the notion of belonging. If, if you think that the fundamental task of adolescence is to belong to something, to be on the other side of the people on that bus and to have those people on the bus be so vocal, so loudly vocal, is actually scary. She's bright enough to know, as many of our kids are, that they're just spouting off something they've heard at home or they're just repeating something that's, you know, been added to their own Kool-Aid. And and so I'm grateful that she can see that. But then at the same time, you know, what does that mean for our young men and women and how they relate to each other? If we get back to the vulgarity and get back to um, some of the 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 uh, stories around uh, women being second class citizens or, you know, however we want to look at that. I mean, these, you know, in one regard, it's opening up such a a powerful dialogue. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then and then the other, you just think, oh, man, I, I really wish this wasn't in your face right now. So taking up so much of, of your space wondering. It is a little bit like drinking out of a fire hydrant, and, and especially for the, for the kids. I mean, there's a, we adults know that there's a certain fundamental hypocrisy that allows civilization to remain cohesive. You might be sexist, one might be sexist or racist, but you keep that under wraps because that's what allows civilization to move forward, you know, for people to remain civil. But I think once permission is given to lift that, that veil, really ugly things come out. And that's a concept that takes a long time to come to terms with. And our kids are being forced to swallow that concept kind of overnight. Yeah, they are. So let's, let's wrap our conversation today by talking about the advice that you have for parents moving forward with the new president and how to handle, how to best handle the variety of impending issues that do exist because there's so much talk about war about walls, about uh, disrespect, about, I mean, even with, uh, you know, all of the, the finger pointing, you know, it's, it makes me think of a, of a small child. I was an only child, and I remember eating the last fudgesicle in the, in the freezer, and my mom saying, you know, where's the last fudgesicle? I don't know. I didn't eat it, <laughs> right? 
but I'm the only kid in the house, right? There's just the two of us. Right. And I, and I remember like holding that position, but I also was like four. Right. So, you know, so it didn't occur to me that that logic wasn't going to, wasn't going to play out well. And, and it, so anyway, but you know, please, any advice that you have would be just awesome. Yeah. So, so there's bits of advice that are things to do and there are bits of advice of things not to do. So what one, I guess this is sort of in the middle of those two, is, uh, now that I've divided it that way. One is to actually that media break you talked about. I think that's really important. It, it riles us up and it riles our kids up. And to the extent that, you know, there used to be a time with whatever media you took in, you could listen to in the morning while you're making breakfast and your kids were coming downstairs and, and they weren't listening. They'd go and do whatever they do, their homework, TV, whatever it happened to be in the morning while they ate their cereal. I think we got to turn that off now um, because it gets if you are among the people that it gets riled up, we got to take that out of the picture. And the kids are tired of hearing it, too, because not, they're not just hearing it. They're hearing us yell back at the radio. Yeah. So so getting rid of that and doing that in um in kind of a tinctured exposure exposure way, that's really important. So you, you read the news one time a day. The, the world will not end if you check the news at the end of the day. Uh, and if it does, it won't matter. So the other part of that is if your kid comes downstairs having read the news, because kids get their news, you know, Snapchat, BuzzFeed, wherever, whatever social media platform or from their friends for that matter, uh, don't assume that they agree with what you agree with, because that actually creates more anxiety for them if, if you're putting your thoughts into their heads. And most parents, when they're thinking calmly, know this, but when you get riled up, especially in, in these times, you forget that. So instead you say, what do you make of that? Um, just really straightforward stuff. And you don't you don't push it. This is for, for older kids. For the younger kids, you would also say, what do you make of it? And you don't push it. But expect the younger kids to walk away from it sooner. They're pretty happy if, if parents just say, it will be okay. I'll make sure things stay safe. I promise. Those kids will go outside and play kickball. Like right. they'll, they'll, they're happy to leave it in their parents' hands. It's when teenagers who start to realize that their parents can't possibly handle everything or that, you know, they just... <laughs> show the disdain that all teens at some time show for their parents, which is totally normal. They can't afford to leave it up to us. That's when you say, well, what do you make of it? What do you want to do about it? Would you like to write a piece about it with me? Would you like to write it by yourself? These are all ways of sublimating, of taking that horrible, anxious feeling and defending against it by turning into something positive uh, and making room for alternate uh, opinions, even if they're not opinions you would agree with. I really like that you bring forward the importance of open-ended questions so that we give them, you know, our teens, uh, the, the room that they need to, to answer that from their own space and from, you know, from their own thoughts and, and feedback. That's, it's so important. It's a super important. It's also more fun as a parent. Yeah. I, mean, I think, you know, it's like, it's, how amazing to watch, literally watch your child's brain grow as they play around with these ideas that they couldn't have played around with as recently as a year and a half ago. That's pretty cool. But you only get there by opening, by asking those open-ended questions. Mm, that's so true. Yeah, our mornings, uh, we don't have any news on. And now I have a couple of diffusers with uh, either lavender or citrus or something. <laughs> yeah. There's music. I mean, not every day, but but just to kind of help her 
because she has been facing some, a little bit of panic, a little bit of anxiety, um, you know, depending on the day and situation. And, and I know she's not the only one. So I'm really grateful that you came forward today to have this really important conversation. Is there anything you feel like you need to bring forward before we uh, go on with our days? Um, no, the only, I mean, the only other things I would add are the things that we all know to do when we're feeling uneasy, but ironically, the more uneasy we feel, the less likely we are to do them. So things like exercise, uh, you know, we can talk about medications, but bef- way before that, exercise, getting outside, uh, listening to music, as you just brought up, playing music, watching something fun on TV. I'm a big believer in TV. I love TV. <laughs> so like some reading a novel, anything like that. And then in addition, taking advantage of displacement. My daughter's reading The Great Gatsby right now. Boy, if ever there were a discussion of the excesses of wealth in displacement, it would happen in The Great Gatsby. She knows we're talking about now when we talk about Gatsby. I know we're talking about now when we talk about Gatsby, but we're going to stay in Gatsby land because that's safer. These are all things we know anyhow, but the more worked up we get, the harder it is for us to do them. So it sounds like we're on the on the same page here, which is oh, good. Oh, yeah. Great, great. Well, thank you so very much for joining us today, Dr. Dr. Schlossman, I really appreciate your time. And to our listeners, uh, if you enjoyed our conversation today, you can stay in contact with Dr. Schlossman by reading his blog posts, listening to his podcast, and you can find all of this information at the Clay Center website, which is mghclaycenter.org. And I'll have a link to that on our blog post as well. Thank you so much, Dr. Steve. It was wonderful to meet you. Thank you. It's wonderful meeting you too. Take care. The Anxiety Slayer Academy has a brand new course for you. Introducing New Beginnings, Daily Steps for Self-Acceptance and Peace of Mind. This course offers a supportive pathway to heal your past and slay your anxiety so you can reclaim your life. Visit Anxiety Slayer today to learn more about the New Beginnings course at anxietyslayer.com forward slash support.